This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. I'm Robert Sittler, and in the conversations that I just shared with Duncan, I really sensed the listeners who will be participating potentially in this conference and who will be listening to the series of dialogues that you'll be hearing in the coming weeks. And I feel that they have been charged through Duncan's work with the potential to bring about inner transformation. And I look forward to participating in that process with you. From time immemorial, beginning with indigenous councils and ancient wisdom traditions, through the work of Western visionaries such as Plato, Galileo, and quantum physicist David Bohm, mutually participatory dialogue has been seen as the key to evolving and transforming consciousness, evoking a flow of meaning, a dia flow of logos meaning, beyond what any one individual can bring through alone. So join us now as together with you, the active deep listener, we evoke and engage in living dialogues. Welcome to Living Dialogues. I'm your host, Duncan Campbell, and with me for this particular dialogue, I'm truly delighted to have as my guest, Robert Sittler. Robert Sittler is an associate professor of modern languages and director of the Latin American Studies Program at Stetson University in DeLand, Florida. He received his doctoral degree from the University of Texas at Austin after completing a dissertation on Maya-related literature under the guidance of the late Dr. Linda Shelley. His travels include over 30 years of regular visits to the Maya world among a wide variety of Maya ethnic groups. He has a particularly close relationship with the Mam Maya community of Todos Santos Cuchamatan in Guatemala. He has published a number of articles on Maya and Maya-related literature. His current research focuses on the cultural phenomenon surrounding the 2012 date on the long-count Mayan calendar. He is also featured in The Mystery of 2012, Predictions, Prophecies, and Possibilities, published by Sounds True. And you can reach him at www.stetson.edu forward slash R. Sittler, S-I-T-L-A-R. So, Robert, what a great pleasure to have you here on Living Dialogues. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, we have really an auspicious moment here because you and I are inaugurating in this dialogue the first of a series of seven dialogues that will be consciously leading up to an event on May 29 and 30 in Fort Collins, Colorado, a gathering entitled 2012 now empowering the transformation and so as we go forward we have really consciously understood that this series of seven dialogues between myself who will also be serving as the opening presenter and master of ceremonies and yourself is the inauguration in a sense of a kind of pilgrimage that these seven dialogues are in a way milestones as we are preparing ourselves and our consciousness to gradually focus in on this event, 
which will be not just simply at the end of May, a transmission of information from various sources, but an integral initiation and experiential transformation very much in the initiatic tradition of the Mayan people themselves. And from that perspective, you've told me prior to this that this particular day on which we're recording this dialogue has its own auspicious moment within the Mayan calendar. So perhaps let us start there. Well, that, that's very true. This, uh, we're talking about the 260-day ritual calendar known by the Quiche as the Choqueya, uh, the Count of Days. And this is the day for Canil. And Canil is uh, often thought of as a reference to corn, but it, uh, it, it's very strongly connected with abundance. And the number four actually has very strong connotations of stability. It's a very auspicious day, especially for beginnings. It's associated with corn and uh, the, the entire process of cultivating corn, which, of course, in the Maya worldview, is the same thing as cultivating uh, a human being, because corn and human beings are, are of the same substance. And that's most interesting because, again, what it does is underscore the indigenous view and experience of our entire species from its beginnings, where even anthropologists talk about the indigenous world and the experience of humans in our indigenous stage of development as experiencing what they called mystical participation, meaning that we experienced ourselves, we humans, homo sapiens, uh, in our earliest beginnings, as embedded in a fully alive, conscious universe, so that there was no radical distinction between the human, the animal, uh, the plant, or the landscape. So for us to be talking about humans and corn made of the same substance is very interesting because it really reconfirms and reawakens that sense that we all are completely permeated with the divine consciousness, whether we call it creator or spirit or just simply the warm embrace of a conscious intelligence. We're talking about our being situated in the cosmos, and it's an alive cosmos full of awe and wonder, sometimes really pushed to the side and forgotten, or we might say we've become estranged from that in our modern consciousness. I think that's very true. Uh, I, I love your introduction. I feel like we could stop right there. It was so articulate and thoughtful. Um, I, I uh, am most drawn to your desire to make this an experiential event rather than a conceptual one, because honestly, a lot of the conceptual sort of belief systems around 2012, um, I, I don't think are essential to our experience of our connection with the divine, as you described it. And so the, the, you're, you're starting out in such a uh, reward, rewarding direction, and, and uh, I, I just think that this particular way of, of shaping the conference is going to be very, very beneficial for your listeners and for the participants in the conference. I know I'm really looking forward to meeting the presenters myself and uh, experiencing their wisdom. And I think that's really part of the key, is that uh, not only are the presenters going to be getting together in nature uh, the day before and the day of our coming together as a greater gathering, but all of us together 
every participant in this gathering uh, will be interacting in dialogue uh, in the course of the day and a half that we're going to spend together. And it's very much framed within the understanding you've just also confirmed, uh, which is actually the Mayan understanding as well as our indigenous understanding that when we come together in a gathering, we come together with the inherent knowledge that our gathering together is a way of amplifying our own individual access to, we might call it the logos or the wisdom of the universe, that we are together not to just simply share, as in a scientific paper conference, uh, fragments of uh, mental uh, research uh, and strictly information, but we're together in a real kind of celebration and initiation where Together, we understand that our energies, if focused in a good-hearted, uh, generous, abundant way on the possibility of transformation, can evoke together a revelation, an unveiling of a deeper heart reality than any of us can experience that's alone. So that, that's so true. I think, you know, honestly, uh, in my early experiences in the Maya world, that that you just described in terms of... Uh, a, a conscious sense of shared experience was one of the most striking features that I first became aware of among the the Chol Maya that I was and my wife and I were visiting with at the time. Um, I, I became clearly aware that there was. I, I'm reluctant to use the word communication because it what we imply words with that, but there was a sense of living together in share, actually sharing the same consciousness between uh, people in the Chol communities that I had never experienced prior to that and was um, quite a revelation to uh, a young man at the time. And one of the things that you've shared with me, which is particularly inspiring and beautiful, I felt, is the fact that you're working now on a manuscript as yet unpublished that tells your experience with the Mayans and your life experience from that perspective when you and your wife June, your now wife June, first went down to a Mayan site in your early 20s and experienced something quite miraculous, we might say, in the environment. Perhaps you could tell us about that because it was a quite an extraordinary experience and yet, as you came to understand, it's something accessible to us at all times. And it's not through the intervention of a high priest or something outside yourself. This is something that happened to you from the environment and the land itself at this particular site where you and your wife witnessed or noticed a particular light in the atmosphere and in the environment. And tell us about it. It is an experience that has, that has been with me every day since then. This is some three decades later and is still informing my life. It was so uh, overwhelmingly powerful. These were the, the most real experiences of my entire existence as a human being. Well, I have to say that's been also something that I've shared in as well, that the wonder of our being embedded in a fully alive universe includes the fact that, for instance, well-known even to the popular imagination that Native Americans in North America and, of course, in many other indigenous cultures around the world have long made use of animal totems where they have seen certain values or 
character traits within a particular animal. The vision of the eagle, the endurance or the deep reflection of the bear, the imagination of the coyote as the trickster, the ability to be surprised and clever, and the monkey mind that's talked about in Mm -hmm. not only the Hindu tradition, but also when they talk about the monkey god, Hanuman, he becomes all-powerful as soon as he gets focused in his devotion to Ram, Ram, Rama, representing the divinity within. And so all of these ways of using our experience interacting with an alive universe become metaphors and portals for accessing that kind of transcendent and embedded awareness Mm -hmm. at the same time. And one of those portals that's very much in use in Mesoamerica and in Latin America is the portal of, as you put it, master teaching plants, because it is a portal and access to consciousness. Mm, That's wonderful. The Northern European tradition is more a mental tradition of visualization. That's been one of the greatest teachings from the Maya world for me is the, the conceptual dimensions of it. Honestly, while you know people can talk about that, I suppose they don't seem to be critical. Even and you know I don't know how this will strike some of your listeners. Um, even the the evangelical traditions, which have become very powerful in the Maya world, perhaps as much as thirty to fifty percent of the Maya population, as we speak, would consider themselves to be evangelical Protestants. And it's an extremely experientially oriented um, approach to spirituality. Uh, people devote. Instead of going to a service for an hour or two uh, in the community I know best in Todos Santos, there have been ceremonies that have gone on, you know, church services for three days, day and night. So the, the level of devotion um, is not devotion that would come about through uh, simply adopting some uh, particular doctrine regarding spirituality. It's something much deeper than that. It, it goes across the religious spectrum, if you will. The spirituality is deeply reverential um, and deeply immersed in the context of the natural world. I love how you mentioned that earlier on. Even this this conference, the fact that the participants are going to be able to be outside in that way, I think is absolutely essential. The the fundamental grounding for indigenous cultures and for the Maya is uh, nature herself. Uh, you know, this is. I think we we talked about this the other day. For me, one of the greatest teachings in uh, the Popobu, this book of the Kiche Maya, has to do with the the gods themselves. Uh, after, in the process of uh, uh, an epic in which they even defeat the lords of death, they have an interaction with the earth in which they. Uh, are cultivating corn like any Maya, but since they are supernatural beings, they decide to invent supernatural instruments. So they have a, a magic hoe, uh, a magic axe that do all the, wor- the work for them in terms of clearing the forest to make space for corn, which they need to survive. And they come back the next day and see that the entire forest has been put back into place. And they uh, complain to their grandmother, who is actually the Earth Mother herself, and this this goes on, and they they do their work magically again, and they and they wait this time in the, the behind a rock, I think, to see what happens. And all the creatures of the forest come in to remake the living world after they had destroyed it. And this is the one and only time in the entire Popovu that these 
hero twins, these magnificent enlightened beings, um, give in. They, they, they walk away uh, defeated. This is the only time. And it, this, to me, shows that all the things we talk about, all these different dimensions of consciousness, ultimately, for the Maya, at least, take place within the context of nature. And I, for me, that's one of the most profound teachings of the culture. And it's one of the most profound teachings that we are being called to integrate into our modern consciousness so that we create, as I mentioned, this third consciousness that's taking the best of our indigenous consciousness that's part of our DNA, part of our birthright as humans. We just need to reawaken that. To reawaken it, it's already there. It's just been de-emphasized over the centuries when we've turned our mind toward what the Greeks call techne. Techne means man-made instruments or tools. So as we became tool makers and began to empower our human manifestation against predators to predict food sources with greater assurance by becoming practitioners of agriculture beyond simply being hunter-gatherers, when we domesticated animals to be in service to the human, all of these things that culminated eventually in the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, what we now call the information or technology revolution, we're emphasizing mental faculties over and against nature. In a sense, we entered an adolescence phase where we're pushing away Mother Nature and Father Sky, much as the growing human needs to do when it leaves the childhood phase, in order to self-empower. But if we wind up in a perpetual adolescence and alienated from reintegrating and reappreciating, we might say, parental experience when we were held in the larger family, we wind up with a situation of conflict, a situation of alienation, angst, all of the rest of it that we're familiar with in our urban industrial culture. And yet we have created new realms of discovery and imagination that are in themselves highly worthwhile. But in order for us to take advantage of that and not have our, for instance, nuclear weaponry or our uh, inventions uh, in terms of how we uh, move about in terms of mobility with fossil fuels pollute our very nest and our very environment, we need to graduate to a higher, more integrated and more balanced psyche And what we're being called upon to do, as I see it, and as we see it here in this conference, is to reawaken our indigenous understanding and bring it forward through a confident modern mind, which is not attached to individuating and empowering the human over and against nature, but is now ready to accept and integrate that whole situation into this more mature we might call it sacred marriage consciousness, where we can move forward into a new era. And in our view, that is really the true meaning of the word apocalypse. Oftentimes, the popular imagination thinks of the Greek word apocalypse as meaning destruction, when in fact, etymologically, it literally means the lifting of the veil Mm. or revelation. Mm. Revelation of a deeper and more profound and healed reality. That's wonderful in terms of uh, the title of our upcoming conference here, Unveiling 2012, right? Exactly. That's the website that people can go to is unveiling2012.org. And we have titled the conference as an extension of that, 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation, Mm -hmm. in order to capture the fact that 
we're not waiting as anticipants of something to happen to us on December 21, 2012, that we need to protect ourselves from, or it could be the end of the world, or it could be catastrophic as we see Hollywood about to take advantage of that kind of ignorance and fear-based perspective, rolling out a major movie of that kind that's scheduled for December of 2009. Or these conferences that we see, many of the conferences we see about 2012 say things like, the secret of 2012 will be revealed to you if you only come and pay this money to people who are going to tell you, like high priests, uh, some sort of very arcane data about extraterrestrials. Right. Uh, I think what we're going to find ultimately is that many of these sort of sort of the solutions or or ways in which we go into this um, more integrated consciousness are extremely fundamental, very physical, very much in our bodies, and not particularly complicated. But they're things that um, our lifestyle has taken us away from. And we need to... My participation in this conference is going to be extremely practically oriented, very simple things that you can actually do to start uh, affecting your consciousness and, and building uh, a more integrated uh, consciousness within you. I, ha- I couldn't help but want to go back to something that you mentioned, talking about the way our intelligence in some ways has ended up working against us through the way we have used technology. And uh, as I'm sure you're aware of, but it it couldn't help but pop into my mind, the end of the third age uh, for humanity in the Fopobu ends with the rising up of humanity's own technology against itself. And so the the way it's used, you have to think of uh, rural people and, and the Maya world, they're even their kitchen utensils rise up and start beating them and attacking them and, and, and kill them, finally. But basically, all the, the artifice, all the, the things that they have made that are not um, of nature actually have a way of turning against them and um, you know, are the cause for the demise of the people of the Third Age. And that's very interesting because if we look at it in terms of culture, as such, how human beings began as isolated individuals that gathered originally in small collectives, small tribes, as an adaptive evolutionary mechanism to protect against the isolation that would have led to certain death uh, mm-hmm. without collaboration. And then as those tribes grew eventually into agricultural communities and then urban centers and so on, the invention of tools and the invention then of technology and whether it could even be washing machines in the home or refrigeration, uh, things like that were always made to empower the imagination of people so that they would not be completely tied to repetitive labor. If there could be some kind of technology that could be a time saver or uh, a way of more skillfully creating cuisine and so on, That would make sense. But if uh, we continue along that path without somehow a regular way of reintegrating ourselves, even in our daily experience with the natural world, then those very tools could lead to a progressive alienation and estrangement from the living quality of our natural world and could also elicit a certain kind of hubris or pride in the man-made world. And so then we get lost in the world of our own creations. 
Well, I like your mention of the washing machine. That's a perfect example I, because I can, a, a particular washing machine came to mind in uh, a Maya community that I visit frequently. There are very few, mind you, you know, uh, in the, probably in the entire Maya world, uh, you know, just a handful. Even in urban environments, it would be very rare. But what has happened with the introduction of this particular machine that I have in mind in this community is that um, now, of course, this, much of the repetitive uh, work has been eliminated. Uh, but it's interesting to think about what has been lost. Before this family that I'm thinking of uh, got their washing machine, the women in the family, and in the extended family, all used to go down to a local stream. Uh, they were all right listening to this beautiful sound. The birds were all around them. They chatted about the day's events. The babies could play in the water. This whole magical, in my mind, this magical little world took place. Yes, there was lots of work involved. I don't want to uh, paint it as some sort of uh, utopia. But there, something has been lost. Uh, and uh, there, there were that's that we have in in and I should say I have in in my um, family, my extended family that you know came over here generations ago from Europe. Are we've done that little thing with the washing machine a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, and um, it's sort of our task now to find ways of being down by that stream and, and chatting with our beloved uh, relatives and community members as we wash our clothes. That, that, that's how I see um, my contribution to this conference, is just a remembering that this is not particularly complicated in certain ways. We're talking about uh, m my main thing, for instance, that I talk to my students about here has to do with the way we um, practice birthing here in our country and comparing that to the indigenous world. Uh, the way we treat our infants is, is radically, radically different. And uh, these, are, these are very, very simple things that we can you know, start doing tomorrow uh, if, if we want to. It's not, uh, it's not esoteric knowledge. It's become esoteric as we've become immersed in this artificial lifestyle that, um, that I lead and many of us lead. And I think that's really exactly the point because that same kind of experience is one that I had in the jungle with the Huichol Indians in Mexico mm -hmm. over a decade ago where I was instructed by the shaman and I was there with he and his wife and his niece in the middle of the jungle in a very small hut, we might say, that was made out of thin trees and just really the very basics and a little clearing. And now, just are we, were you in, in Nayarit? Is this in Jalisco? Or is this actually on the pilgrimage up toward uh, San Luis Potosí? Actually, this was in Nayarit, ah. not too far outside of Tepic, where okay. there was, a, let's say, part of the diaspora of the Huichol was living. That's where the, where the shaman was living, on the outskirts of the main central area mm -hmm. of a town called Tepic. There was a small concentration there of Huichol Indians in the kind of semi-urban setting, and then he had his land that he had up in the jungle. Mm -hmm. So this was a Nayarit. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is it was still wild, and they were growing corn up there. Mm -hmm. And his instruction to me was just go down and spend the afternoon by the river. Mm -hmm. And so I went down by the river, and I was just inspired to get into the river. So I lay mm -hmm. in the river 
up against a rock, uh, which was almost, uh, <laughs> you know, there as a, a, a as a uh, support, as something to let the water flow over me. And I was looking at the open sky. I was looking at the sunlight come down through the trees, and I could see in the vista actually mountains in the distance and. At that moment, uh, the shaman's wife and his niece came down to the river about maybe 10 or 15 yards away from me and started washing clothes in the river. Mm -hmm. And it felt to me like what I imagine Gauguin, the French painter, must mm -hmm. have experienced when he left the attractions of Paris, one of the great cities of the world, called even the City of Light, and made his life in uh, the South Sea Islands, in Tahiti, because he discovered that kind of aliveness in the natural world, which then he famously replicated in his paintings. And uh, the thing that was awakened in me by seeing the feminine, the women, come down and wash the clothes in the flowing stream was that same kind of feeling of human and nature and everyday life being all integrated in a wondrous whole. So that when I then came back after the afternoon and we all sat around the fire together and his wife made tortillas and we ate together, there was this real sense of felt, experiential, simple, available communion with a harmony of human nature, food, celebration, work, the process of living. Yeah, that, it's uh, so beautiful. One of, yeah. I think one, it's funny that you're talking about the Weechol. I, I would say one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life was a very brief dream I had that probably didn't last more than a minute. And uh, actually, it was curious because nothing happened in the dream. It was uh, a Weechol woman, uh, and she was she had a backstrap loom on, and she was weaving. And nothing happened, just she was doing her weaving. Mm -hmm. And it was... Um, it was everything that you just described. It was the it was the integration. It was all there, just simple human activity, um, and her presence um, brought me into that space. And it was, uh, as I said, something that that changed me. And and, and it's this it, with incredible simplicity. Very interesting too, because a part of my inspiration for becoming a co-producer of this. 2012 Now conference uh, in Fort Collins, uh, along with John Major Jenkins and Lorraine Tennyson, was exactly that experience that I had had, mm -hmm. not only with the Huichol, but similar experience I had at various Mayan sites in the Yucatan and also at Palenque. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that sense of communion with nature. And so we who are among the organizers and presenters will all be gathering on Friday afternoon in advance of the formal opening of the conference for a celebratory lunch and feast together. And then we'll be walking uh, along the banks of the Poudre River. And that is really to set the context of that reconnection, in a sense, with nature, which is available to us at any time if we but get out of our habit patterns of remaining in the urban setting. And we can invite our listeners at this point to actually either with your companions locally or with someone else you know who may be interested in coming to the conference to begin this process of journey, this process of pilgrimage toward the gathering by taking the time on a daily or weekly basis to have that kind of wandering moments or hours uh, by the river or in I, nature. I love that idea you had about the immersion of actually getting in the river. Mm -hmm. This conference ideally is, a, is a, an opportunity for us to actually get in the water, get in the river, 
and have a, have a have the direct knowledge rather than a, a, some sort of conceptual framework that we you know mirror back and forth to one another, which you know, probably doesn't have all that much value in the grand scheme of things. I think so too. In fact, in some way, it's a kind of we might say masturbatory experience. To be very <laughs> blunt about it. That when we get involved only with the product of the human mind, uh, it can be very entertaining and it can be very interesting, but it's actually even more wondrous and beautiful if we're together as humans uh, in whatever setting and allow a kind of revelation to occur, allow a kind of evocation of a larger logos. And I have done this in prior gatherings within wow. hotels, which are basically energy fields that have been used very frequently for conferences where there will be speakers on the stage doing PowerPoints that are disseminating information in a one-way stream, other people taking notes, gathering knowledge, and then after a sequence of that, they all leave. And so we can actually re-empower any space. And I think this is the key point. Even a hotel that's normally for conferences that are, you know, sales conferences or marketing meetings or whatever they may be, we can re-empower that energy field and reawaken it with this indigenous perspective brought as a gift to it so that both our modern mind and our indigenous felt feeling of integration can be awakened at the same time. And that's exactly what we intend to do in the Lincoln Center for Performing well, Arts at Fort Collins. And I'm so getting excited already. One of the things that struck me as you were speaking was that uh, you, you had asked earlier about my initial experiences that brought me into contact with the Maya world. And uh, one of the, maybe even the first thing that occurred to me as this awakening took place was uh, an exponential increase in the awareness of my ignorance. It was, it was uh, mm -hmm. I, ironically, in my, my, what I would call for myself, my greatest moment of uh, illumination was simultaneously uh, my greatest moment of awareness of ignorance and sensing that, that ignorance, <laughs> there was still much more ignorance to be discovered. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's quite fascinating. So in, in, curiously, uh, the process of of integrating a more indigenous awareness uh, can look like uh, unlearning and can look like um, quiet and can look like uh, no thoughts and, and uh, an awareness. I, and I think this comes from just practical experience in the Maya world. Uh, people at least living out in the countryside every night are clearly aware of being in nature. There's no heating, there's no air conditioning. They're always at the whatever the ambient temperature is when they walk outside at night. Uh, they realize that they're in, maybe they wouldn't conceive it as infinite space, but they realize they, they have uh, a respect for the vastness of it all. And that awe in the face of the cosmos is, is core to Maya wisdom. And I think it's core to the deep human experience. That, Absolutely. That's, it's universal. Yeah, it's universal. And that really, I think, brings us to the point of our uh, anticipatory, we might say, challenge uh, as humans at this point. Uh, what's being revealed to us is a great invitation from the cosmos itself to integrate 
our indigenous heritage with our adolescent modern mind traditions and their own particular accomplishments and move it into a dynamic balance, a kind of sacred marriage where we can all move forward in a real planetary consciousness, aware that we're situated in a much larger alive cosmos. And we can take uh, the benefit of washing machines, but uh, not trying to go back and uh, make a utopia out of the simple life and everybody going back and washing by hand, but rather to find imaginative ways that are already at our disposal if we will just break our habit patterns of dependency on a kind of consumer culture of acquisition and just make the small effort. Walking right. That's the beautiful thing. Outdoors. It is, yeah. I think, ultimately a small effort because uh, millions of years of our evolutionary heritage has, has wired us for this. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, ready, we're, we're ready to roll. Mm-hmm. We just need to do the things almost on a very mechanical level. We actually need to do the things that will integrate, that will charge this part of our psyche up, that will get our brains mm-hmm. to function as, in a sense, they were, have been designed to function over the last, you know, several hundred thousand years. And uh, th- this is part of our natural heritage. So it's not something that is uh, otherworldly. It's, it's something that's immediately accessible to all of us, I think. Exactly. And it's not a tale of extraterrestrials coming to us or somehow redeeming us from... On the contrary, it's very terrestrial. That's the beauty of it. It's, yes. It's right here. We're walking on her, right? Yes, exactly. And at the same time, I want to be clear that there is, I feel, a very deep, wonderful exploration to be integrated of the galactic alignment. We made small reference to that earlier, but one of the things that John Major Jenkins will be talking about next week on this program is the discoveries he's made as he's entered deeply into the Mayan tradition with great respect and appreciation to reawaken and amplify some of the original breakthrough astrological and astronomical discoveries from millennia ago in the Mayan culture that have to do with the alignment of our earth and our sun and what is known as the galactic center or the deep dark rift that leads to the center of the Milky Way, the galaxy within which we find ourselves. And there is something about that particular alignment. If we look at it from the perspective of an energetic field that provides a particular kind of opportunity, we might say to turbo or to Uh, invite us to make this kind of transformation within ourselves, but we don't need to wait actually for the exact date as if something's going to happen to us. It's really more uh, another one of these coded invitations and synchronicities that C.G. Jung was relating to during his lifetime that appear every day to us within our lives if we can but like hunter-gatherers, read the patterns. If we can become a people that have a certain awakened pattern recognition, we can see that this invitation really is coming to us at all times. And that's why we call this conference 2012 Now, that even though it's been inspired by this invitation of a genuine galactic alignment, uh, not something that people are trying to expropriate and make a very particular personal version of as I've got the secret code. And and oftentimes those usings of the galactic alignment are actually mistaken in terms of what they're actually conveying. Well, there there is is uh, a great deal of uh, misinformation about the date and misinterpretation about the date. I tend to look at that uh, as um, almost in its entirety 
very benevolent in nature. Most of the people that even are, are um, producing misinformation are at least doing so from space in their heart. And uh, um, But for instance, I, I love what you talked about with the conference that being focused on the now. Uh, that's very appropriate because the solstice alignment, this winter solstice alignment, which uh, is uh, quite peculiar, uh, is already in place. So when we come around to the winter solstice this year, in fact, that alignment is already there. So we're, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever effects will were to be derived from this particular alignment on the solstice um, are already we're we're living them now. So it is now. So it's uh, your your focus on the now is very appropriate. Exactly, and that I think again to in a sense, echo what you're saying about people making interpretations of 2012. It's not about a modern mind exercise and jumping on 2012 as uh, some people also very well-meaning jumped on Y2K. And we're saying we could have a disaster on our hands here. What's going to happen? And the perspective is one of fear and uncertainty, and we need information to protect ourselves against some kind of impending catastrophe. Rather than framing it and understanding it as the original, in this case, Mayan perspective was, and actually as many traditions which have this prophetic dimension, It is a benevolent invitation from the universe to understand that there can be a falling apart of old forms to make way for new forms, and that that is actually part of the death and rebirth cycle. That's what happens all the time. That's exactly. There can be a way of looking at it that sees it as death and rebirth, but not with a fear of death and an anticipation that we may be wiped out and there may be no rebirth, but recognizing that this is the eternal cycle that we see represented with Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva, for instance, in the Hindu tradition, the creator and then the maintainer and then the destroyer. So there can be another cycle of creation and maintenance and destruction. We see it in the rainforest. We see it in the forest here in North America where trees are born. They die. The compost that occurs naturally then allows new life forms to take place. The mycelial mushroom underground uh, feasting upon this and keeping life alive and burgeoning and so on. And it's all around us at every time. And uh, again, this is, I think, why we're talking here about having both an appreciation of the galactic alignment as a fascination point for the modern mind as an invitation to reclaim our terrestrial heritage and balance it with the widening wisdom and knowledge that we're gaining of the cosmos and within our own experience, reawaken that sense of belonging and being a participant, a conscious participant in an alive universe. And so in that way, we actually really embody not only the importance of balance in traditional cultures, including that of the Mayan, but also the importance of balance in all of the mystic traditions that have been part of even modern religions throughout the last number of centuries. So true. Well, Robert, it's been really a tremendous delight having this conversation with you. And I think we've touched on a number of subjects here that are very appropriate as we take our first step on this pilgrimage. And perhaps we can now conclude Uh, By talking about the nature of journey, one of the things that I remember hearing at one point through the media of radio was a lecture from, oh, it must be 30 years ago and more now, 
by Alan Watts, where he said, we've tended to lose the sense of a journey in our modern culture where we can hop on a plane and within a matter of hours, we can be across an ocean in a totally different culture and step off the plane. And really, we're only less than 12 hours away from having been preoccupied with the laundry list in our home before we left for the airport. And so our mind is still full of the subterranean chatter uh, that's going on all the time in our daily preoccupation. But now we're in a very different geographical location, perhaps, and one that might invite a very different perception. But until we can integrate our body and our mind after this very brief airplane journey and synchronize with our new environment, we have a kind of time lag there. And, and that time lag in prior ages was what happened in the pilgrimage, where, for instance, if we take the Huichol Indians and coming down from the Sierra Madre Mountains or the Mayans making pilgrimage to various sacred sites, a lake or a mountain, there would be a period of many times weeks where people would be walking on the earth, communing with one another, camping out, and then weeks later, after their minds had been really brought into the present with this anticipatory focus on the initiation that would take place at the particular traditional site, by the time they arrived, they would be fully open and present to the potential transformative experience of that particular pilgrimage. And we even see that in our Western literature with uh, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, where as the pilgrims are moving toward a particular, for them, sacred site, they're exchanging their tales in the inns at night when they all are around uh, the table and eating together and they're telling their stories. And as they tell their stories, their own reality begins to shift. They begin to see patterns in their own lives. People that are listening to the stories begin to hear patterns and see patterns that relate to their own experience. And that's precisely what is going to be happening at this conference, May 29 and 30th in Fort Collins at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts, we're all going to be having opportunities to share personal stories and experiences together in a way that can evoke that larger common humanity in the now. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's interesting that the, to hear you talk about the journey. This is such a big part of Maya thinking, one of the 20 day names, these extremely important archetypes in the Maya world is referred to as eh, but modern uh, Maya day keepers often speak of it as be, the road. And this image is extremely important for Maya. Remember, the Maya didn't have any kind of pack animals, so every all goods were carried um, by human, um, on a human back over the mountains of uh, middle America. And uh, the, the, the word itself, the symbol for it in the hieroglyphs, was a human foot. So it just occurs to me that bare human foot uh, touching the earth, that, that's going to be, I think, at least in part, uh, important to these coming weeks and to the conference itself, that, that, that symbol of that bare foot on the earth um, I think it's going to be important for us. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up, I don't know if it's appropriate there. Uh, I, I love walking barefoot and uh, have done so for, in some mm -hmm. cases, months at a time. Um, I, I think very, very simple things along those lines um, are going to be very helpful for us. What's interesting also with the Maya uh, in terms of the road, the road, while it's the, the journey that you take in your life, it always comes back home. Um, 
Maya are very uh, focused on their particular place on the planet, a, a very, very specific place on the planet. Uh, you know, often though, the umbilical cords uh, are buried in the hearth of the home, and it's, you're always connected to that particular place. And uh, I think in part, while we'll be going on a journey, ultimately, you know, it's very cliche to say, but I think we'll be becoming home in many ways as well. I think that's beautifully put, Robert. And what's come to my mind as you're speaking is uh, one of the phrases from John Kennedy that I remember from his time on Earth and his administration was harking back to the Taoist tradition in ancient Chinese culture where he said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And again, there's that sense that, yes, everything is really available to us as we start putting literally one foot ahead of another. And there is a sense of vastness and direct personal location at the same time. Part of the mystery is that we can be at home anywhere on the earth if we're at home in our own heart. And and finally, what I'm recalling is something that really spoke to me during Barack Obama's inaugural address was... As the world becomes smaller, our common humanity is revealed to us. And as the world changes, so too we must change. So there's that immediacy of transformation happening and the growing sense of a planetary culture that is not limited by either time in terms of bringing indigenous and modern cultures together in mutual gifting, and it's not limited in terms of space in the sense that we have a common humanity that we're feeling. We're seeing and feeling the possibility of transcending old tribalisms, old conflicts, old religious uh, uh, warfare, and that kind of thing. And at the same time, beautifully, fully appreciating our own person, our own family, our own geographical location. And that is, I think, the true unveiling that we are looking forward to amplifying together as we come together at the end of May. And I want to thank you, Robert, for all of your lifelong work, your 30 years of regular visits to the Maya world, your teaching, your articles, and your upcoming manuscript in which you so brilliantly share your experience of grounding the entire fascination that we have in the modern world with 2012 in the deep awe and wonder and mystery of daily life as experienced by the Maya people over the generations. You are a wonderful bridge person in connecting our indigenous and modern minds, and I very much look forward to continuing to travel this path together as we all move forward in this great evolutionary moment that we're sharing as a species on the planet. That's exciting. Well, Robert, it is very exciting, and it's been just great having this conversation yeah, with you. It's uh, a true pleasure for me. It's been a real treat for me to speak to the listeners of Living Dialogues, and I look forward, first of all, to meeting many of you, but also to this conference, which I think has the possibility of producing genuine change in our hearts and truly preparing us for a future in which we will feel more integrated with Mother Earth. Well, at this point, we're about to take the next step. This week, we've talked with one of the main presenters at our conference coming up on May 29 and 30, and that is Robert Sittler, whose deep experience and knowledge of the Mayan culture will be one of the gifts that he will be sharing with us. And next week, we'll have John Major Jenkins sharing his 
decades of research into the Mayan culture and how it fits into the larger perennial wisdom, sometimes called the primordial tradition. And we invite you and look forward to seeing you at the conference on May 29 and 30 in Fort Collins, Colorado, entitled 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation. For further information, you can go to www.unveiling2012.org. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much. It was a pleasure to speak with you once again, and uh, yeah. I look forward to uh, continuing conversations out there. That's exciting. I'm your host, Duncan Campbell, inviting you to be with us as we continue this journey. Be with us next time as we take the next step on this journey together on Living Dialogues. 2012 Now, Empowering the Transformation, a uniquely innovative, interactive, and affordable gathering in this time of global uncertainty, will take place Friday night and all day Saturday, May 29 and 30, at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts in Fort Collins. Beyond just information to practical tools for change and direct experience of participating in the ongoing transformation of our times, now is the time and the opportunity to synchronize consciousness with the evolutionary pulse of the cosmos. Join world-renowned speakers as we explore and experience together the transformative dynamics necessary for a successful transit from now through the year 2012 and beyond. Featuring Stanislav Groff, Richard Tarnas, John Major Jenkins, Saban Fusome, Duncan Campbell, William Henry, Robert Sittler, and Christine Page. More information available on the website www.unveiling2012.org. See you then. And visit us on my website, livingdialogues.com. That's living, D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E-S dot com. And if you'd like to listen freely to additional archived visionary dialogues with myself and other transformational thinkers listed on my livingdialogues.com website, once you have entered your free subscription to the Living Dialogues podcast here on Personal Life Media, future Living Dialogues will automatically be downloaded to your computer on a weekly basis. Or simply browse through the list of programs here whenever you like, download them, or listen to them on your computer. Thanks again for your deep listening in evoking this program. All the very best. And stay tuned now after the music for some very interesting opportunities available to you as a listener to Living Dialogues. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.